Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first ever Fear and Beer podcast. We're going to be discussing Halloween Horror Nights Orlando. Uh, my name is Nick. This is my co-host and cousin, Seamus. How's it going, everybody? All right. So first off, I just wanted to start by thanking Vampire Stepdad for the intro music. Check him out on Spotify, Instagram, Facebook. You know the deal. Um, he's an amazing synth artist. He's from Atlanta. Um, and he allowed us graciously to use his music for our program. So we're going to use him for our intro. And then you're going to hear a different song for the outro. If you like what you hear, check him out. Show him some love. Weirdly enough, I got put onto his music from my tattoo artist back home in Massachusetts, who I'd also like to thank. Brad Tichette is actually behind our logo work. Uh, if you want, you can check him out on Facebook or Instagram, just searching Brad Tichette, T-O-U-C-H-E-T-T-E. Um, he's a huge horror nut luck guy, so go support him. Check him out. He's got a lot of cool pages. He also has a great band, and he's going to be starting up a podcast at some point in the future as well, so we'll be sure to plug that a little bit later on once we get more info. But thank you so much for both of them for helping us out. This is our first podcast. This is my first ever podcast that I've been doing in general, and this is the first one of this series. I don't know. Have you done anything like this at all either? No, no podcasts myself. I've consumed a lot of podcasts, big into like horror podcasts, which is pretty, you know, relative to what we're going to be doing with this one, but nothing um, of my own accord anyways. So what we're going to be doing on this first episode before we actually get into all this Halloween horror night information, I'm going to give you couple little brief intros about us you know our our history in the horror movies our history at horror nights you know and, and really what our program is going to be all right my name is nick just a little brief history i've been coming to parks since pretty much before i could walk uh my family myself we take multiple trips to orlando and disney universal so often that it already felt as a a second home i could probably walk around and navigate through the parks more accurately than i could my hometowns but I ended up moving down here from Massachusetts to Orlando about three years ago at this point. I mean, I've just loved having Disney, Universal, Bush Gardens, all those places right in my backyard. So that's kind of my little brief history. Yeah, and, you know, much like Nick, again, my name is Seamus, and I've been vacationing in Florida with my family almost my entire life. Disney, Universal, all the other theme parks in between were pretty much common favorites. Uh, with a family of my own, I finally decided to take the plunge and relocate from Massachusetts to Florida as well, primarily to escape those terrible New England winters, but let's be honest, it was also because of all the uh, self-prescribed amusement and thrill junkie that I am. Mm -hmm. I've been a fan of horror for a very long time, but as long as I can remember, and horror in all its sorts. I've been a horror fan for as long as I can remember. Uh, I'm old enough to remember going to Spooky World back when it was in a small farming town in the middle of Massachusetts where I didn't think anybody knew where it existed, but... At the time, it also being the single largest haunted attraction, I think, in America, as far as I was concerned. I've been watching horror movies since an age that I probably shouldn't have been. My favorite author, but you can guess who it is, Stephen King. Uh, I've been playing Doom since before it was cool. <laughs> and Halloween is my favorite day of the year. Just don't tell that to my wife. Uh, suffice <laughs> to say it, horror is in my blood, and I'm really excited to get this podcast on the, off, the, off the ground. Yeah, and, um, you know, as far as movies and horror and all that stuff, you know, I can't even really remember exactly when I fell in love with that. You know, I remember distinctly a couple instances where I was very young age um, and introduced to a couple different horror movies that really probably were not suitable for my age at the time. 
So I don't really exactly remember my age, but that should go to show it was probably too early for me to be watching those. You know, one instance I remember at a family friend's house, we were having some sort of party in this, you know, an older kid room was the living room. So they're all gathered there and they're watching The Exorcist. So I kind of just snuck in and popped myself in front of the TV and just kind of tuned in and was scared shitless. But I just remember that being one of those aha moments that, you know what, this is something that I could really get into. I remember another instance, God, it was in middle school or something like that. I remember I was going over one of my friend's house and I brought a handful of movies over for us and a group of people to watch or something like that. And then I remember I had to hand all over the movies to her father to kind of approve to see if they were suitable for children of that age, fifth or sixth grade, whatever it was. You know, and he kind of one by one went through them. Yep, yep, yep. Nope. Pulled that movie out. That was the Texas Chainsaw from 2003, which in my mind of watching horror movies was super appropriate. Um, And everybody else thought so too, but apparently that's just not really the gist of things from a parent's point of view. So I remember those as pretty early instances of my horror fandom when it comes to the movies. For whatever reason, I kind of just fell in love with uh, Friday the 13th. That was kind of my favorite series the most. I grew up spending a lot of my summers um, at a campground, you know, in Maine. Uh, we did overnight camps as a as a kid as well, so it kind of meshed, you know, the silver screen movie with my real life. So that's kind of always been, you know, a cornerstone of my movie catalog. Growing up, you know, Seamus said that his favorite holiday was Halloween. You know, it's pretty, pretty uh, safe to say that that's mine as well. But growing up, Halloween was kind of our thing. We started to kind of trade as a young age. We started to trade out going trick-or-treating for giving out the candy to the trick-or-treaters. So we were probably, me and Seamus here, were 10 or 12 or so. And we would just set up little simple things. You know, we'd hand out the candy to the children or whatever like that. But, you know, we'd set up a trampoline covered in leaves. And then we'd jump out and scare them. You know, we'd come around the corner of the house with masks on. We'd hide behind cars, pile leaves, you know, real simple stuff. But as young kids, 10 or 12, it wasn't really expected. You know, we'd have to go raid Party City or so with look for new fog machines, strobe lights, black lights, anything we can kind of get our hands on. Um, just being on a 12-year-old budget really wasn't much, but it was... it was A lot of hand-me-downs. Yeah, lots of hand-me-downs. It was something that just kind of stuck with us. So going forward, we kind of evolved what we had done as kids. And we started an event of our own called Terror Village. Um, and we actually started doing that at your house, I believe, once it got bigger. But if you want, want to talk about that just for a little bit, just so people can kind of learn about our history and how it meshes horror, horror nights, Halloween, all that jazz, and kind of puts it all together of what we used to do. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, like, like Nick was saying, it kind of evolved as we got older. For me, there's always been a, a desire to feel scared. I know that sounds weird, but to me, that feeling of being scared, being um, surprised, there's, a, there's an element of thrill in that, just like we said before. I mean, theme parks are a big deal. Why do you ride a roller coaster? It's not because you want to get a lot of you know airtime. It's partially because you want that thrill. You want that feeling of being scared because it makes you feel alive at least for me so what i like to do is you know getting older it's like you know take this candy crap and you know you can have that i'd rather provide people the same thrill that i like to get so much 
And it obviously it works because, like Nick was saying, we did move it to from his place as we got older to my parents' house because at the time we lived at a house with a very large backyard. It extended into the woods, and almost almost like it was purposely built for our own haunted walk. So we started really kind of upping our game, so to speak. I remember one year, um, pretty pretty vividly, another friend of ours, Dan, him and I. I think between the two of us, we must have spent six or seven hundred dollars. Uh, mind you, we were college students at the time, so we weren't exactly um, rich by any means. But we built all our own props. It wasn't, I mean, we, we definitely bought a lot of things. We made a lot of these Halloween store owners pretty rich. But think about it. There aren't many that were open in September or August, you know, prior to October. So it got to a point or got to a size where we needed to start building this two months before Halloween. And keep in mind, we did this one night a year. Um, it was Halloween night and that was it. It was for trick-or-treaters. So, you know, we're spending money and countless hours after school, after work, um, going up to my place, building props, building, you know, sets. Because, I mean, everything we did was in sets. So, you know, we had to build a set, build props for that. And then not only once that was done, we had to find people that were, A, willing to help us for no money, and B, who had the desire like we did to want to do it. Not everybody has that that same desire to really get involved in horror or Halloween or haunted attractions, you know, much like Halloween Horror Nights. But obviously, due to the size of that, you can tell that a lot of people do like it. So funny enough, you know, after a year or two of us kind of getting this going at the new location, we had people driving in from out of town. Um, and that was just word of mouth. It wasn't even so much that we had, you know, flyers. We weren't charging anybody. I mean, it was just trick-or-treaters and their families that came up. And I think after year one, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but after year one, we had groups of 20 or 30 people, mm-hmm. kids, adults, whomever, going through it. And, you know, I remember you know, my father would sit outside and he would play music and project things on the house and kind of manage the front side of it with, you know, handing out candy and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, and he had he had parents that would leave, and he they tell him I just spent a hundred dollars to bring my two kids to Spooky World or wherever. And then had I known that you guys were doing this, I would have just not bothered doing that because this was better than what Spooky World did. So to get compliments like that, I mean, obviously a big deal for us because we were just a bunch of college kids spending money and <laughs> putting something together for one night a year. So yeah, I mean that's kind of where it evolved to. I mean it got to a point obviously where life takes over, and unfortunately you can't you know, keep doing it all the time. But, you know, it's definitely something I miss. Uh, it's definitely something I wish I still did was either work at a haunted attraction or put one on my own. But this is kind of where this podcast was born is because it wanted a reason to reminisce on that and talk about what's coming forward for the this year. Yeah, so that's kind of how we tied into Halloween Horror Nights. You know, we, not to say we were doing Halloween Horror Nights by any means, but um, we were in that same realm before we even knew it was a thing. You know, so just as kids that loved horror movies, that loved Halloween, you know, we would spend our July and August crafting these stories. And the stories would be used to kind of base the scares around in that walk. You know, me and Seamus would both be guides. We would, by lantern, take a group through, walk through one section, do one section, get about halfway through. And then the other guide would take the next group. And it was essentially a Halloween Horror Nights house with a guide. Um, that we would just rotate through. And every year was different. We always created a backstory that we would post online so people would know, you know, what 
to kind of expect and they can kind of put themselves in that world right there. So just interesting enough that we kind of have done that stuff from the intellectual standpoint, you know, intellectual being used very loosely because again, we were in college and just kind of winging it. But, you know, that's kind of, you know, our expertise. That's, um, and that's about as far as our expertise goes. We are not insiders. We're not going to be breaking news about Halloween Horror Nights. Um, you know, this is simply a commentary from two fans of everything horror, Halloween, Horror Nights. You know, even before Horror Nights was a thing in our lives, it was kind of there as Terror Village, which was, again, our little Halloween walkthrough kind of thing. So, again, this is just going to be coming from two fans of that, and we're just going to be breaking down Horror Nights in the coming season all the way through until we um, until we run out of stuff to say. As far as seniority at Halloween Horror Nights, I'd still say I'm kind of in the that rookie mode for comparison to others who have you know been on podcasts twitters whatever you know my first year uh was halloween horror nights it was just 25 you know i got drawn into it because of the freddy versus jason house i don't know how i heard about it or how i hadn't heard about it before that but for whatever reason i kind of found out about it from the freddy versus jason house and i flew down specifically for that event around my birthday and that kind of became a tradition every september i'd fly down i'd usually catch opening weekend and from there it just kind of was a one-time thing until i moved down here obviously since moving down here i kind of get to reap the benefits of that frequent fear pass you know we go typically two three times a week Um, we try to get the most out of that but it really started with 25 and it just kind of grew from there yeah and right along with what nick was saying i mean i'm what you would call a HHN noob in this past year, 29 was my first year going. Now I had heard tons about it and always wanted to find a way to come down and do it, you know, every year. But unfortunately, you know, life gets in the way and it just never really worked out in a way for me to be able to come down and do it. Um, Obviously now living here, like he said, it's a great opportunity to buy the fear pass because you can go whenever you want. And it's, you know, relatively inexpensive for what you get out of it. To be honest with you, from a haunt aficionado, <laughs> from someone that I th- I like to believe that I know a lot about haunting and, and all the different type of haunted attractions, I'll, I'll say it, it is probably the best one across the globe. I know that there are one-offs in a lot of places that people claim to be, you know, great. And I'm sure they are. Um, and I, I usually def- I definitely take, you know, the, the approach of, how much work did it go? Did, did went into it? When I judge it, and obviously, you know, we've been there. We we've seen the work that it takes to put something on, even for just one night. So it's easy to say, oh well, you know, the, the the theme park with a bunch of money obviously puts the best one on. But I have to admit, just the level of effects for some of these houses are, is is over the top. And and for me, like I judge everything based on how it how does it make me feel? What, what reaction do they get out of me? If you can get a reaction out of me where I'm either scared or I'm nervous, or it's actually taking some sort of effort to want to finish the house, they definitely take a win for me because it takes a lot to scare me. And I'm not just saying that to be, to sound tough. I've just seen a lot. I've desensitized myself to a point where nothing really scares me in, yep. in, in the horror world. So uh, I got to give it hats off to Universal for what the work they put in. Obviously, going into 30, it's a big anniversary this year, so we'll have a lot to talk about. Yep. And, you know, as I said before, 
you know, we're not breaking news here. We don't have insider knowledge. We don't work at Universal, none of that. We're just simply fans. So what we really want to focus on is just commenting on the event. The houses, scare zones, food, drink, all that stuff once the event gets rolling. Leading up to the event, we're going to go over the speculation maps, the houses, and we're going to try and break those down the best we can. You know, using our history as people that, you know, held sort of a, you know, Halloween Horror Nights-esque event where we kind of create a story and we tell it through visuals. You know, my idea is to episode by episode, once we get rolling, to kind of break down the houses comparative to the movie and, you know, what scenes from what movies are going to be placed into the house, what characters should we expect to see. You know, obviously, this is going to be all just from the top of our head. So, you know, if it's accurate, kudos to us. If it's not, I don't want to hear it because we're just coming up with it as we go. You know, there's no way to know the exact layouts of the houses, but we're going to try our best to pick out cornerstones from the movies and kind of predict what's going to be in there. And we're going to see how accurate, you know, come September, October, we can kind of listen back episode by episode, see where we were right, where we were wrong, and we can kind of go from there. You know, once Halloween Horror Nights is kind of in that off season, once we're, we kind of wrap up in November, we're going to kind of keep this podcast going as a horror movie podcast that also ties into Horror Nights. So we're going to kind of pick random horror movies may or may not be able to be used as intellectual property. Um, we're going to throw all the rights issues out the window and we're going to just kind of pick and choose a couple of our favorite horror movies that would be really cool as houses. We're going to try to conceptualize the house based on the movie um, and we'll kind of go over that just so that there's something to talk about during that off season because you know it's a it's a long long off season for us those horror night fans we get a lot of horror nights style events in that september october but there's a long nine month off season or so so we're going to try to keep the ball rolling throughout those months with some content that isn't just news breaking and stuff like that but just stuff to get the minds rolling it's always scary stuff to talk about yes, yes there is one last little thing about our podcast, what we're going to be doing, obviously, with the name Fear and Beer, we already kind of covered the fear aspect, but we have yet to cover the beer aspect. So each week, what we're going to try and do is, you know, get a, a beer of sorts that ties into what we're going to be talking about that week. Some weeks, it might be a stretch. We don't know. Uh, but this week, I decided to finally crack the last one in my collection, Old Reliable for October, is the Shipyard Pumpkinhead. That's a staple for anything Halloween horror related. They sling these things at horror nights. They're amazing. I'm from Massachusetts originally. This is brewed up in Maine. So it's kind of a local brew for me. I know when these things start to creep out in August, I go on a witch hunt to try to find these. Yeah. I go to, I go to any Publix that I can. They're usually on the little corner shelves. And if you go there and you see that they're all missing, I apologize because that was a hundred percent me. I bought out every single one of them, and I stockpile them. And during the off-season, when I start to feel really, really sad <laughs> that it's not Halloween anymore, crack one of these open, put on a horror movie, put the lights on red, call it a day. So that's what I'm drinking today. Today is going to be brought to you by Shipyard Pumpkinhead. <laughs> what do you got over there? Yeah, nothing wrong with pumpkin, that's for sure. Uh, definitely a favorite. I'm drinking a vanilla porter from Breckenridge Brewery out in Colorado. Gotta love porters, especially in the fall. Nice, dark, heavier beer. Obviously a little different than a stout, but... And I'm not even a vanilla guy, to be honest with you. I mean, and something like this is great, especially to give you that, like Nick said, that fall, that fall feeling, that feeling of the leaves are changing and, well, maybe not in Florida, but, you know, in other parts of the world, the leaves are changing. changing. The leaves will be changing normally, but 
Uh, yeah, it's really good. And again, we're not going to sit here and bore you with a whole bunch of details about beer. We just want to share with you what we're drinking. Maybe give you something new to try. Yep, so that's a little bit less for you, more for us. We got something to drink while we're doing this podcast, so we figured we might as well tie it in a little bit and uh, bring you all in on it. All right, so just to kind of wrap up this week's episode, because this one we just kind of wanted to do an intro, let you know what the show is, what to expect. We just want to kind of briefly touch on the speculation maps that were brought to us by Horror Night Nightmares. They have a great history of really nailing this event. Past couple of years, they've been right on. So we just want to quickly kind of touch on that a little bit. And then in next week's episode, we're going to be breaking down that map more in depth. We're going to each tackle some different houses, and then we're going to go from there. All right, and on to the next batch. We're going to kind of be going over the speculation maps um, these speculation maps are brought to you by Horror Night Nightmares. These guys are usually spot on, um, super, super accurate. So we're just going to kind of briefly touch on these houses. Um, you know, Seamus here hasn't really looked at these all too much, so you're going to be getting a lot of first impressions from him. Quickly just kind of touch over the speculation map version 1, just because we're starting a little bit behind. Um, we'll go to version 2, and then next week we're going to break down the houses even more, but from our perspective, not are they going to work, is it going to be good, blah, blah, blah. We're going to be doing the creative aspect of things from those properties that we would like to see in the house. So version one, um, you know, the houses we're looking at, looking at for the intellectual properties, we're looking at Beetlejuice, Universal Monsters, The Bride, Gremlins, The Adventures of Sabrina, the Netflix series, and The Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix series. So that's just from version one. What are your thoughts on those ones? Yeah, I mean, if we're going down the road of intellectual um, property, yeah, I mean, they're, they're all pretty good, I, to be honest with you, and this is going to get me in trouble, but I haven't actually watched the Sabrina series yet. I need to get, I, need, I know I need to do it. I got young kids, guys. Like, it's hard for me to find time to be able to watch that, you know, all the different kind of good stuff that comes out on Netflix. But I have watched The Haunting of the Hill House, and for me, that one probably excites me the most when it comes to the intellectual stuff. A reason being is I thought that was an unbelievable retelling of a, of a famous story. If you've seen any of the other Haunting of Hill House adaptations or read the book, because I've read the book too, obviously, it's definitely, it's to me, the best classic story of a haunted house nothing beats that type of tale and and Netflix did it tastefully I don't think it was over the top there wasn't any unnecessary you know effects or anything like that I think everything had a purpose um, especially with all the hidden ghosts if you if you go back and watch it again you can kind of see where all the hid, hid the, all the ghosts and stuff so for a house I'm excited I, I, I'd be interested to see what they do with it I mean my guess would be kind of like what I just said they'll hide ghosts in different places you'll probably have some sets from the different scenes from different episodes I'd find I mean again I just said it was one of the greatest ghost stories of all time but I it's hard for me to figure out what they would do as far as a interactive haunt with it but I'm, I mean I wouldn't put it past Universal to put something amazing for it so I don't I wouldn't I would reserve judgment until I until I walked through it but I think that's the one that's most that's uh, got my interest now I, we didn't mention that there is one on here called Dungeon of Terror. I don't believe it's probably going to be an intellectual property, but it does kind of give me the reminisce, like a reminiscent of Tales from the Crypt or Tales from the Crypt, whatever, whatever it's called. Excuse Tales me. Of, yeah, funny enough, it ties into that it, at it, one point. Yeah, it looks like Tales of the Crypt um, lettering. So the so it, the design of it kind of gives me that feeling. So whether or not it's anything having to do with the actual show, um, or if maybe just it's going to tie into that 
feeling and kind of give you that that idea who knows but which one's your favorite so just quickly to touch on that dungeon of terror funny enough that you said the uh crypt keeper so dungeon terror was the first ever house it was the one that started it all in 91 it was the only house um and that was back when it was called fright nights in 92 it came back as one of two houses in 94 it came back um, and then in 95, it came back as the Crypt Keeper's house. Okay. So they kind of redid the Dungeon of Terra as a Crypt Keeper style. So it's funny that you kind of made those two connections because they absolutely tie in. I said I was a noob. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they, they, they absolutely tied in. So Beetlejuice, obviously, I'm a huge fan of. I know I'm probably going to get some flack for that. You know, it's going to be like that Ghostbusters house in my head where it's just more fun. You know, I grew up watching the Beetlejuice as a kid. You know, early 90s, Michael Keaton did an amazing job in that. And those sets, there's just, there's lots of fun toys. There's so much to, you can do with that. Yeah, there's so much stuff that you can play with um, when you're using somebody else's toys like that. Again, like Seamus, um, I, you can slap me on the wrist now, but I have not watched The Adventures of Sabrina. You know, I've heard great things. Um, I just haven't gotten around to it. I didn't watch the show. I know they're unrelated other than the name. Just seeing that name, it didn't pique my interest enough to run right to it and see it. At some point down the road, I will probably, you know, log on and and watch that through in one time. If it gets confirmed as a house, I'll obviously go back and watch it. Um, and from what I know, it's based off of a comic book or a graphic novel, so it's not have anything to do with the Clarissa explains it all, <laughs> Sabrina. So. Yeah, and that's kind of what I thought. You know, the Gremlins house is intriguing. I feel like Gremlins is always that uh, movie that has danced on the lines of, is it a Christmas movie? Is it a horror movie? Is it this? Is it that? But regardless, I I would love to see a Gremlins house again. I know it's taking the spot of a house that would be a scary house. Um, you know, with Beetlejuice being on the map, having two houses that were more for fun could push some people away. But a few years ago, that Krampus house... I, that was probably my all-time favorite house. And Gremlins, I could see being in that same realm of a good mixture between the two of comedy, horror, um, and it would kind of allow them to work with that temperature setting that they used in Yeti, where they kind of chill it down a little bit, make it feel like Christmas time. Um, that would be very fun. And again, The Haunting of Hill House, again, everything Seamus said, I completely agree with. That series was amazing, and it makes perfect sense for it to be at this event being that The Haunting of Bly Manor should be coming out in October, I'm guessing. September, October at some point should be dropping on Netflix. So it makes perfect sense to drop that out, especially taking into consideration Stranger Things. We've had that the past two years. So there is a Netflix connection between Universal and Netflix regarding houses. So that it just makes too much sense for me. All right, so on to those original houses that are on here. On version one, we have Dungeons of Terror, which we kind of talked about briefly it was the very first house from fright nights has a long history through horror nights it's going to be a fan favorite obviously those people that have been coming since the early 90s are gonna i'm sure they're you know waiting to buy the tickets now at this point just for that one house in particular the monsters universal monsters the bride obviously going off of the success of last year's universal monster house everyone loved that so this makes total sense i think the bride was people's favorite or one of their favorite moments that house and i totally agree this is totally deserving of a house to have this year so the next one bedtime stories i could be wrong but i believe that this was a house idea that got scrapped a couple years ago or last year something in that realm 
as far as what it's going to be, I, I couldn't tell you. If I had to guess, you know, we'd just be plucking from famous bedtime stories, Rumpelstiltskin, Jack and the Beanstalk. Kind of would remind me of that Scary Tales, uh, Slaughter Cinema style house where it, it just kind of crashes a bunch of different stories into one, which I'm 100% for. We have Tara Crentis. You know, the Terra Queen was one of the icons from 05, I believe it was. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like I said, we're not experts. We're just going to be winging it here. But she was one of the icons from back then. So she's going to be making her return, it looks like. And the next one, Legendary Truth, Carrie, Ohio. It's going to be, again, that's another kind of OG callback. Yeah, so that's a, it's a legendary callback. It's kind of, um, so Legendary Truth is kind of like a fictitious paranormal investigation group that they kind of made up for Halloween Horror Nights. It's an interactive story uh, back from 2008. And there's been multiple houses from past years that have been set in this Cary, Ohio. You know, the schoolhouse, the spawning, leave it to Cleaver. They've all taken place in this town. So they're kind of connecting a couple different things here and pushing that all into a house, which is great. I'm all for it. Again, it was stuff that was before my time. So I'm really going to have to do my research on it to fully appreciate it. But I know a lot of people have been looking forward to this. Now, the last original house from the version one is the Billie Eilish. Um, so personally, I I couldn't tell you much about Billie Eilish. I'm kind of a stickler with my music. I, I tend to listen to the same artists that I have for the past 10, 15 years. I don't really stray from the path all too much. I've heard of her. I've heard of, you know, I've, I've seen pictures of her. Other than that, I really can't tell you much more about that. I know she's a huge horror enthusiast. I know she's a fan of Horror Nights, so I, I kind of see that connection. I know that they've, you know, last year they did Rob Zombie. Previous years they've had Slash kind of work with Horror Nights in Hollywood. So I don't exactly, other than that, know much about Billie Eilish and what a house would entail. If I did more research on her, I could probably tell you more. Maybe it has something to do with her music videos. Maybe it's just songs that sound creepy. I'm not 100% sure. I won't shoot the idea down. I, I would just like to do a little bit more research before I comment fully on that. Yeah, I mean, I think this definitely is going to be the most contentious of the houses if they give her one. Obviously, Rob Zombie is an easy one because, you know, he's got three really, really good horror movies, in my opinion. And he's got, all of, obviously, his music, which over the years has been very horror-centric and very um, Halloween-ish. you know, -ish. You know, It gives you that vibe. And obviously, you know, the Scare Zone last year, not my favorite Scare Zone, but I love Rob Zombie's music, so I was down to give it a chance. Uh, I think it was a little too loud, a little too in-your-face, and I didn't really quite get what's going on. And I, and I kind of feel like they were kind of shooting for that because that's how his music is and his music videos are. But, like Nick said, I, I'm, I'm willing to give this one definitely a shot. If, 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 if it's true that she's going to have her own house or her own scare zone even, I'm really excited to see what happens. I'm not a pop fan or a pop music. I don't have a lot of knowledge with it. I know I listen to some of it, and some of it does catch my ear. Like, Early Lord actually caught my ear because I liked it. It was very mysterious sounding. And Billie Eilish is one of those artists where, and again, I'm not a music guy. I don't know enough about you know pop artists to really give you a background in it. But from what I've heard... I think she actually has some really cool, interesting sounds. I think that 
she definitely comes off as someone that is into the scene when it comes to Halloween and horror and scary things. And uh, I think she could definitely come up with some crazy ideas. For all, all we know, it could be that Universal is just going to use her music in some way and kind of do their own thing and have her kind of like sign off or work with them on it. But uh, hey, let's see what happens. If these guys are right and she actually has something to do with, with this year, I'd be probably the, one of the first places I would actually go because I want to I want to see what they do with it. All right, so those were kind of the first reactions. Um, so like I said, it was fun to go through that because Seamus hadn't really looked at version one yet. So now we're going to jump right to version two. So some of the stuff that we said about those houses, you can throw it out the window because based off of version two, some of those are now gone or repurposed. So kind of going through those maps, uh, the map of Halloween Horror Nights Speculation for 30, again, brought to you by the Horror Night Nightmares. We'll go through the intellectual properties that are kind of standing with us still. So on this one, we have Beetlejuice. We have The Haunting of Hill House. So the intellectual properties that we're left with on this version 2 map brought to you by Horror Night Nightmares. So we still got Beetlejuice. So I'm pretty excited that that is sticking around or supposedly sticking around. But since it's lasted two goes on this, uh, this speculation map, I'm, I'm getting excited to hopefully see that. There is a secret IP. And there's The Haunting of Hill House, which, again, out of the ones that were on version one, I'm glad that we got stuck with those two. Those are probably the two that I was looking forward to the most. You know, I'm okay with Sabrina going away because, like I said, I I didn't watch it, so I can't say that I'm a fan of it. So I really have no expectations for that. And Gremlins, yeah, I'm sad to see it go, but maybe it's not going. You know, there is a secret IP on here that they either just haven't released yet, they don't want to, um, maybe they're not sure if it's going to stay or go. You know, the only IPs, you know, if we stick with Gremlins on that, I'm cool with it. Another IP that's kind of been talked about based off of past houses or past years is obviously the Candyman. Candyman is going to be a new remake of the older movie by uh, Jordan Peele, who as of last year, also has a connection with Universal from his Us House. So I could see that happening. But what do you think about sticking with these IPs? Yeah, I mean, Beetlejuice, like you said before, is obviously a classic, so I'm pumped about that one. If that one sticks around, then, yeah, I'm totally on board with that. The secret IP, I don't necessarily think that it will be still Gremlins. I'm with you that it would be kind of one of those uh, Ghostbusters-style, kind of scary, kind of happy, kind of funny house that kind of gives you that levity where... Everything else is really scary, Every, and this one is kind of like the, hey, we're scary, boo, but we're still making you laugh. So I would be okay with that coming back. Um, being that this is 2.0, and again, like he said, I, I haven't seen this one yet, so my initial reaction would be that it's not going to be Gremlins. Um, maybe they'll use Gremlins in some sort of scare zone, but who knows? I mean, with, with the secret IP, it could be anything. I, I don't know if maybe the font that they used has something to do with it. Um, they obviously know something because... I don't know if you put that on there or take it off and then have to go back on the, some, uh, whether they know somebody that works for Universal, who knows, but they definitely know something. And again, before, I, like I said before, I'm not going to do it again. Uh, Haunting of Hill House is still one of my favorite ghost stories, so I'm pumped that this one stuck around for at least round two. Again, who knows? I mean, this could be completely wrong and we could be completely in the dark, but I, for what we have here, those two, I'm, I'm cool with them sticking around and I'm really interested to find out maybe what this secret one would be. Yeah, so moving on now to those originals that we got. Um, I'll kind of list them off real quick, and then we'll kind of discuss them a little bit briefly. But what we're looking at still is we now have a house, the Pumpkin Original. 
We have Legendary Truth, which dropped the tagline of Carry Ohio. So that's a little interesting to see that they kind of dropped that. Uh, we still have Dungeons of Terror. So that's going to be a fan favorite. It looks like it makes perfect sense. This is an anniversary year. This is the 30th event that's happened. Um, it makes perfect sense to bring this back and kind of give a nod to all those OGs. The Terra Crentis is still with us. Bedtime Stories is still with us. And we have the Universal Monsters, The Bride, but music by Billie Eilish. So they kind of twisted Billie Eilish from a house to a soundtrack, it sounds like. And that is something I'm 100% on board with, you know, being that I haven't listened to her, being that I don't know much about her other than she is a musical artist. It makes sense to have her put her music or at least, you know, be some sort of decision making behind the sounds, the audio, whatever happens in that house that makes perfect sense to me for her to be brought in in that capacity. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a smart move if this is where they're going with it. Again, like I said, from the brief stuff I've heard from her, I mean, I think it would fit that theme. I'm interested to find out kind of what they do with it. I would assume that it'll be, like we've, like we've been talking, is it'll be an original story with the bride. It doesn't say the bride of Frankenstein, so it's not necessarily a given that it's going to be specifically the bride of Frankenstein. We're going to assume it because it's Universal Monsters, and, you know, she's a Universal Monster, but... Universal's thrown some curveballs before, um, from what I've seen, from what I actually saw last year. So you, you never know. It could very well be their new their own take on it. Maybe she'll be the Bride of Frankenstein, but played up in some way that relates to Billie Eilish. I'll have to go back and maybe watch some of her music videos and see if there's anything that you can kind of gather from that. I mean, I'm not trying to speculate a ton because I want to go into it and be surprised. But yeah, I'm definitely on board with that. That's for sure. Yeah, so starting out with that house again the bride i'd be really interested to see if it is the bride of frankenstein solely or it'd be kind of cool if we took all the the universal monsters that we had from last year just recreate or create different sections for each one's wives that'd be kind of i know that not all of them have it but it would be kind of cool to see a, a miss creature of the black lagoon right. or, or mrs invisible woman but you know, as far as speculation, that's really all it is at this point. You know, so from version one to version two, we we ditched Sabrina, we ditched Gremlins, we have that secret IP, and the other one that we have over there is that secret original, um, which it's unknown at this point. Being that it's an anniversary year, I could 100% see the reasons behind if they decide to do an icon house and they brought back, you know, the director Jack and all that stuff. And they kind of mashed it all up into a house. I know they had a scare zone where they kind of brought them all back for 25, but it would make sense to kind of put them on that pedestal, give them a house and kind of just show the history of Horror Nights through that one house. It is interesting if they decide to do that and they still kept a Tara Crentis house being that she is an icon and she could kind of fall into an icon house but we'll kind of go f- from here and, and just assume that at this point, maybe it's not an icon house, maybe it is. But either way, it looks like Terra Crentis is going to have her own house, being that it's been on two of these maps in a row. And I trust these guys. They have a really good track record, like I said. Kind of going through those originals really quick. That Pumpkin original is kind of interesting to me. I don't know if there's any backstory on Pumpkin. I don't know if that's a Halloween Horror Nights thing, but what I can... What I think of it is uh, from 28 when they had the Harvest Scare Zone. Um, they had all these big characters on stilts 
that had the pumpkin heads and they had the light shining through. Um, so that'd be kind of cool if they brought that scare zone into a house. I know it was well received back then. So it'd be kind of cool if it was like a farming style house, you know, scarecrows, pumpkin, pumpkin head, stilt walker, stuff like that. That would be kind of cool if they kind of put that into a house and, and kind of a throwback to 28. You know, the bedtime stories, like we were talking about, you know, briefly, all I can see is, you know, kind of like scary tales did. They had all these different fairy tales that they brought to life. I think it was, you know, Humpty Dumpty and three little pigs and stuff like that. You know, bedtime stories would be kind of cool if they took that aspect of it. They did Jack and Beanstalk, Hans and Gretel, you know, Rapunzel, Princess and the Pea, all that stuff that you would tell your kids, those bedtime stories, stuff like that. So I could could see that being brought into a house in that capacity. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I mean, for all – for the originals from this map, um, I will say that it's interesting that the pumpkin one is written in a specific – style obviously you can't see it on a podcast but if you look up the speculation map 2.0 from the horror night nightmares the pumpkin is done up in some sort of font i'd have to research it to see what that is again like i said i'm a noob to halloween horror nights i've only been to the last one i've watched a lot of youtube videos of past ones but i never really got to experience a lot of these older legacy houses um so maybe pumpkins have been used in the past like nick said like the harvest zone or something along those lines but i'd be interested to find out what that one is going to be as far as the unknown original although again for all of the you know og hhn attendees you obviously want to see some you want to see a bunch from the past it's the 30th why wouldn't you want to do that but there have been you know just going from my limited experience last year, there was one scare zone that I thought was overlooked by a lot of people because it was kind of put off to the side. Um, but it was more or less like zombie Vikings. And that's probably a weird way of putting it, but it was kind of like a Viking esque village and they were doing things like cannibals and all these different, you know, gross stuff. But I thought that was a really cool original idea. Obviously, you know, dead Vikings, zombies, they're not really original. But the way Universal put up the scare zone, I thought it was pretty original. I would, just from my own opinion, I would have, I would actually kind of be cool with a, the original or another original based kind of in that world. I don't know what kind of story you would do, whether it was, you know, a lost Viking ship at sea that ends up coming back, you know, from the dead or something along those lines. But if they followed that theming, I thought that would be really cool. I mean, I wouldn't obviously argue against uh, a legacy house, but again, I wouldn't really have that experience of seeing it for the first time 10, 5, 15, whatever, how many years ago it was. So, interested. We haven't really spent a... We spent a little bit of time on Dungeon of Terror. I'm still interested because that one made it onto the second map. And as a kid, I watched a lot of, you know, the Tales from the Crypt stuff. Um, I'm actually kind of interested to see what they do with that. Again, I didn't experience the house when it was here originally so i guess we'll you know have to wait and see what it what it is but that's i think one of the bigger ones that i'm kind of interested to find out what happens with it obviously with the ip stuff you know you get what you get it's the ip and like guess like nick said you know having access to those toys and being able to do whatever you want with those toys within reason is is really cool but it's the original stuff that really kind of gets my interest because it's original. It's something new, something I haven't seen before. All right, guys. So that was our breakdown of the, you know, version one, version two, really brief stuff, but we just wanted to at least touch on some Halloween Horror Nights info before we jumped off here. But guys, thank you very much for tuning in again. This is Nick. This is Seamus. 
We are the Fear and Beer Podcast. We're going to be discussing all things Halloween Horror Nights going forward. We hope you continue to join us. Um, Next week, we're going to break down that version 2 map more in depth. We're going to kind of look at different houses and kind of give you a little wish list of stuff that we hope to see from that property if it's an IP. Um, If it's an original, we're kind of going to do our research. We're going to see what things have looked like in the past, and we're going to try to, you know, our best map out or at least describe what we hope to see, where we hope to see it, and stuff like that. So, guys, again, thank you very much for tuning in. We just want to give another quick shout-out to Vampire Stepdad, who gave us our intro and our outro song. So check them out on Spotify, Facebook, all that good stuff. Again, thank you very much. Happy haunts. See you later. Bye.